This is episode 343, dated Friday, January 19th, 2024. You are listening to the In Perspective weekly podcast with Bob Branco and Peter O'Toole. Hi, everybody. Welcome once again to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco, and this is episode 343. Dated Friday, January 19th, 2024. Before we continue, let me introduce Peter, who's probably in the warmest part of the country right now, Goose Bay, Oregon. Peter Alchil. Peter, yeah. how's it going? It's about 56 degrees here. Uh, no yeah, sun. Yeah. And no sun, but 56 degrees and no rain either. So right now, we, I'm delighted to be where I am. And sorry, certainly better than Missouri, where it's minus four degrees last I heard. So hmm. I think I'll... Stay here in Coos Bay. We're in a, we're in the twenties. Wind chills are supposed to go below zero tomorrow night. Anyway, let me thank those people who make it possible for In Perspective to be made available. We start out with our executive producer who works behind the scenes, Raymond Gay. Thank you for helping to create a quality product. I also want to thank Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place chat line for posting our programs on greeting door number 15. Our media sources, thank you very much for airing us when you do. We appreciate that. And Jacqueline Sylvia from JS Web Solutions, who archives our programs on my website. To hear back issues, just go to www.brancoevents.com. Arrow down till you get the In Perspective podcast. Click on those and hear most of our archived programs from latest to earliest. Merci, Jackie. And let me also take this opportunity to thank Angela and Lucy for helping us out today. Angela, I believe you are the host. And Lucy, are you doing Clubhouse? I don't know exactly what your role is. You can tell us if you want to, but whatever it is, we, okay. We appreciate you being with us today, both of you. Well, by popular demand, we have back on the show the interim executive director of the American Council of the Blind, Mr. Dan Spoon. Dan, we had a great conversation. Your first go-round on In Perspective, we decided to welcome you back. So you are again. Thanks for returning. Well, thank you, Bob. Thank you, Peter. And first, I want to say congratulations to Peter and Carrie on getting hitched. It's, I think, you know, one of the first marriages I've, you know, got a chance to experience where I knew both people before they knew each other and it, through ACB. and. It's great to see where where our organization can take folks. Like I like to say, ACB is love. There you go, Dan. I'll second that motion. <laughs> well, uh, well, thank you. And and uh, we met through the uh, community calls. And thank you, Cindy. Otherwise, I don't think we ever would have met. So well, we're doing great. And for those who have been following sort of Carrie's battle with cancer. At the moment, she is totally and completely cancer-free for the Congratulations. first time, uh, two two years or so. so Fantastic. We yeah. are hoping that that will continue. I'll, keep conti- I'll continuously say prayers for her, Peter. Thank you, and prayers are always welcome. We appreciate it. So, Dan, update us a little bit about ACB, what's going to happen in 2024, uh, just to give our listeners a general idea mm-hmm. of what you're doing at the moment. Well, sure. Okay, we can take a few minutes. I, you know, 2024 is off to a a roaring start here. It's the, you know, just halfway through January. 
we've, of course, right now we're really heavy into planning for our DC leadership conference, which will be coming up in Arlington, Virginia at the Pentagon City Sheraton. It will be March 1st through the 5th. We'll kind of have people come in on the 1st and, uh, take tour of our uh, new Alexandria offices. We just moved into the new offices the first week in January to start off the new year. We were in a temporary office space inside the same building and are now into our permanent digs that we will be in for the uh, next eight years. So smaller than the temporary space. So it's cozy, but comfortable. And I think our our Alexandria office team is very excited to be to be in the new the new office space. And they welcomed in Claire Stanley on Tuesday with her first day as our new ACB advocacy uh, director of advocacy and governmental affairs, replacing Clark Rockfall. So it's good to have Claire back as part of our ACB staff. She worked with us. Four, three, four years ago, as our advocacy specialist uh, went and had a good turn in her career working at the National Disability Rights Network, learned a lot, has made lots of really valuable, created lots of valuable relationships across the disability community, and has worked in her role with the National Disability Rights Network with Clark and Swath on several of our key pieces of legislation, legislative imperatives, both the Durable Medical Equipment Act, as well as the Software and Website Applications Accessibility Act. So both of those have been re- reintroduced in in Congress this year. And she, of course, will be well, helping spearhead those initiatives along with others. So we're, she's kind of drinking out of a fire hose right now. We had a whole set of meetings set up with different ACB partners here over the last few days, as well as Claire is also the vice chair of the uh, CCD, and they've had their annual meetings here on both Tuesday and Wednesday. So she's been very busy since she got back and dealing with snow in the DC area like everyone else. So it's, it's been a hard time to get started for everyone. So we welcome Claire. What is uh, the CC? Excuse me. What is the CCD? Yes. I, the, I think it's the, and I'm terrible with all these initiatives, but I think it's the coalition of concerns of the disabled, but yeah. I'm not, is that correct? Did I get it? Yeah. I believe that's correct. Yeah. I believe that's correct. And so it's made up of, disability organizations across the uh, country and they send representatives and they work on common issues. They have work teams. It's all kind of volunteer. And it's really a great way for ACB to reach out and, and make progress with the larger disability community. And we're seeing that a lot now with different rulings, notices of rule, public rulemaking that are taking place at the Department of Justice, different rulings with the FCC. HHS. So in all of these areas, it's really good to have, to have a coalition of partners. Dan, can you, you've been serving as the interim executive director for a while, a couple of years, I think. Not right. Be almost a year here. I almost got, a year. Yeah. Okay. They, the, I think board, 
the board asked me to be the interim executive director at last year's DC leadership conference. Okay. So it's been a year. I thought it was yeah, okay. coming up so, on a year in March. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, t- talk, what is, what in your opinion is the role of an executive director of a, of a nonprofit? Oh, wow. Well, there's, there's a lot of roles in place. So I would say, you know, first you're always representing, and I believe this is the most important thing. You, you really have to, to understand the mission of the organization and never lose your focus of, uh, off the, the mission of why the organization was, was founded and what its basic principles are. So I think that is always important to make sure that your staff, working back with your board and your membership that you always keep in mind the mission of the organization, which in our cases, you know, ACB strives to increase the independent security, equality of opportunity and quality of life for all blind and visually impaired people. And that's our mission. That's what we get up and work every day to, to deliver for, for our members and our partners. So I think that's the most important thing. And then you're always you know, you're, you're the head of a team and you're representing, you know, a non-for-profit organization with the American Council of Life. So you're always working to help support your team, help build collaboration, help really, you know, your, your teammates to be successful. It's really not about you in the role as executive director. It's you helping your team, you know, accomplish their goals and objectives, which are ultimately our, our company goals and objectives. So it's holding everybody accountable, accountable, supporting everybody and really jumping in to help when, whenever, you know, you need to. And then, and then I think as a leader, you kind of have to set work with our board of directors or ACB president, our members and really, you know, set a direction for the staff. So you have to, you know, you have to, Continue to update and create your strategic plan and know what you're really focused on. It's very easy, Peter. You know this through your own life experiences. When you're a non-for-profit, you can get distracted fairly easily. There's, there's more demands than there is time to, to fulfill those demands, right? So you really have to work at prioritizing. It's easy for me to say prioritizing your work and really making sure that you're working on what your board and your members through their resolutions are asking you to, to do as an organization. So that's really important. And then I think you really need to be the external voice in many cases of the organization. You have to represent ACB appropriately to all of our business partners, to other disability groups, to at conferences, you know, there's really an amazing opportunity to get out there and share the story and the hard work that ACB is doing. And in many cases, even making people and organizations aware of ACB and the work we do and what the needs of the blind and low vision community are. So it's one thing about being executive director is exciting. Every day is different. You know, you, you don't know when you wake up, when you wake up in the morning, you have an idea of what you want to get accomplished by, before you go to bed at night. But sometimes that's not the way the day actually works out. So you have to be flexible. I think we always adhere to our five core values of integrity and honesty, 
respect, collaboration, flexibility, and initiative. And as I did everybody's performance reviews this year, I got an opportunity to do a lot of the performance reviews with with Clark and Kelly leaving. And I was really, it brought a smile to my face to see how well our staff lives those core values each and every day. It really is the bedrock of a well-run non-for-profit that you have to really understand your core values, your mission, and you've got to hire people that live those those core values and mission each and every day. And, and we've got that inside of ACB, which is really exciting. Dan, what are some of the issues that ACB plans to advocate for moving forward? I mean, blind people talk every day amongst ourselves. Mm-hmm. And to other people about the issues that we face on a regular basis. And I think we, for the most part, know what these issues are. Employment, transportation, education, mm-hmm. accessibility, and, and whatnot. What are some of the things that you're focusing on as an organization at this particular time? Sure. Well, you know, Bob, where... My mind always keeps going back to, you know, we, we revisit the ADA each year on its birthday and being brought into a law. It's now 33 years ago. And, and what you continue to realize is in many cases, the ADA was really strong on what I call kind of the external mobility footprint. You know, how do you access your environment, the physical, you know, barriers and issues that we deal with in the disability community and more specifically in our blind and low vision community. But where I see the biggest challenge in the first half of the 21st century is really the area of accessibility related to digital assets, applications, durable medical equipment. I believe there is such a challenge in front of us to to not let our community just be left behind. Nothing has brought us more opportunity than a kind of advancement in technology. But at the same time, it threatens to leave us behind if we don't get out there and advocate very, very strongly. So you'll see that two of our key imperatives this year are the website and, and software application accessibility act, which has been signed by or has been, you know, uh, sponsored by Senator Duckworth, which is, and, and it's really a coalition of NFB, AFB, ACB, and National Disability Rights Network, NDRN, that have all kind of come together and had weekly meetings with Senator Duckworth worst office to get this legislation, you know, sponsored again in the 118th Congress. So that I think is something we continue to need to just work for in and each and every day. And, and it's not just a legislative initiative. It's the work we're doing with the Department of Justice and HHS and in the work that we're doing there. On Title II, there's been a, a new notice of public rulemaking that's been put in place for Title II of the ADA related to accessibility of local and state government websites and making them accessible. 
and we're working each and every day. We put comments in. We're lurk- working with folks inside the Department of Justice to continue to revise that notice of public rulemaking to really bring blind people back into an equal footing when it comes to, to websites and, and applications at the state and local level, which I think will be a blueprint for what gets rolled out at other agencies and eventually goes to the, to the private sector. We, we've got to get DOJ to set a standard that everybody can, all their, everyone's applications and websites can be, can be judged from right now. We're in this world where every time we feel like we're being discriminated against with a website or application, we have to have an individual lawsuit or structure negotiation with that corporation or entity to bring their website into compliance or their application into compliance. And there, there's not enough hours in the day to do that. So we've got to get to we get a an agreed to standard that everybody will live to and a standard that will be upgraded over time. So. I want to so go back. Yeah. I want to go back. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that, that's kind of the first one. And then we can talk a little bit more about healthcare and durable medical equipment, which I think is another huge area. But go I ahead. I want to go back to two points that you referred yeah. to earlier about mm-hmm. being left behind by technology. You know why that is, Dan. Mm-hmm. Technology is constantly upgrading. As soon as you mm-hmm. learn it, you've got to relearn and relearn and relearn. Right. It's frustrating sometimes. I'm going through that now. I have to have a major upgrade. And I'm very comfortable with what I have now, but I have to have a major upgrade. It's, they're always upgrading and we have to yeah. keep, you know, keep up. And we That's have to really one. push for universal design. So when the applications get created out of the box, it's accessible for us. Cause I'm what happens, yeah, what happens is, is the new, the new update comes up. It comes out and then we got to lobby and advocate to get the accessibility to catch up with the new upgrade. Right. And that's not, we'll never get there under that, under that, you know, approach. We've got to, we've got to really work with these tech companies and manufacturing companies. So when something comes out of the box, they've already thought about accessibility and they've in, embedded it in their universal design. That's sort of like Apple. Apple does a good job of it, although sometimes with Apple you'll get a new release and the accessibility won't quite be there, as we all know. But we we have those conversations with them on a regular basis. Okay. On the websites, Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong what I'm about to say. It might come out wrong. Yeah. I enjoy the Internet. I enjoy Googling facts and figures and all that going on websites. But it's so frustrating. You're trying to read something on a website. And all of a sudden, an ad pops up right in the middle of an important <laughs> pot. You know, this is not how we're supposed to read things. We're supposed to read like everybody else. When we read a library book, we don't run into that shenanigans. Well, Something sighted people, sighted about. people are going through that too, Bob. They they just have the ability to do a quick click and it goes away. Right? <laughs> yeah, but what do we do? <laughs> it's a little harder for us. That's right. That needs to be worked on. So, yep. so Dan, privately and publicly. Sorry, Bob. Yeah. So, Dan, I, I'm curious. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you you mentioned working within the disability community, mm-hmm. uh, and universal design, of course, implies that things work well for every for as many people as possible. You know, it sure. doesn't matter. You know, whatever. And I, it seems to me that one of the things that we should be doing more of is reaching out for a broader 
group of people to work together with uh, when it comes to issues like technology. I'm thinking about people of folks who are older, for example, who have a lot of the same issues with who are blind or not, you know, about mm-hmm. that, uh, issues. I'm just curious the extent to which ACB is sort of being more creative about reaching out to groups that might support us, you know, beyond the disability community. Right. Well, you know, we first let me give you an example where I think you're you're so correct, Peter, is we worked with the National Institute, you know, as part of the National Institutes of Health. We worked with the National Institute of Biomedical Imaging and Bioengineering on making, you know, helping to improve and make COVID home test kits accessible. And when they started that project, they brought three distinct groups together. They brought people who were blind and low vision together as one group they felt like that did not have good access. And then they brought another group of entities and organizations and individuals together to talk about folks that are suffering from fine motor skill disabilities and have a hard time dealing with the the home test kits. And then the third group they brought together were people representing, you know, kind of the aging senior population and the issues they were having dealing with accessible, dealing with making home test kits accessible. So they, they broke us into three groups and went out and interviewed us separately and gathered all this data. And then we came back together and this was their RADx team. And what they were really, really surprised to find is that 80% of the issues that were, that were, you know, discovered through the process were the same between all three groups, whether it be understanding the instructions, being able to uh, understand the packaging and how to open it, how to read the instructions, how to label the different components that made up the test so people could differentiate one part from the other part. I mean, you know, having the the skills to get those doggone drops in the hold, whether you couldn't see them, your fingers wouldn't work right, or you were having a hard time just, you know, understanding how to get it done. And so it was very interesting that it really brought home to me that the more you work with a broader coalition of individuals with disability, really across the cross across the disability spectrum, we're all in this together. And there's so many synergies and similarities between our issues, even though obviously what's, you know, things for deaf people are different than things for blind people, but we have a blind deaf population that needs to, to be able to deaf blind population that needs to, to deal with both of those sensory disabilities. So I do agree with you that the more we work with other disability groups, and not just disability groups, it could be AARP that's dealing with seniors. You know, the more we can form those coalitions. I was on calls here the last two weeks with the Diabetics and Action Special Interest Affiliate, where we met with the American Diabetes Association and the Juvenile Diabetes Research Association. And it was really interesting for us to present our situation with our blind and low vision diabetics and the, the issues they're having with insulin pumps, with continuous glucose monitors. And it was very, it was very instructive and informative for them to understand the special needs of our community, but then realize the relationships they have with all of these insulin pumps and continuous glucose 
meter monitor companies and industry and the relationships they have. And now they're willing to work, you know, we're having dialogue for us now working collaboratively to go back to these, to these industrial institutions. So I, I'm with you. I think the more we build partnerships, we, they won't all work out well, but it, it does make a very positive difference. It, it, it is strength in numbers, right? Yeah. So I, I want to talk about a, a tension that goes on in every organization and mm-hmm. every coalition. And this has to do, I want to go back. You mentioned the ADA and what a groundbreaking piece of, le- piece of legislation it was. And indeed it mm-hmm. was. It absolutely yeah. is a major piece of legislation. And so it was a, obviously a cross disability component and, and, and it was passed. That was 30 years ago or 30, as you said, 33 years ago. And I think about the way things were then and the way things are now, and it, it feels very, very differently. We, it does. We, we, we as a culture and are uh, tend to be more balkanized. We, we, we don't work across those boundaries as easily as we used to. And mm-hmm. one of the reasons, one of the ways this comes up, and I don't know if you've been following the ACB the, uh, listserv over the past, uh, I don't know, three hours or four hours, has to do with the issue of how do you, how do you Make, make an organization work for everybody without, with, without forgetting that there are niche groups, if you will, within the organization that have special needs that are important for us to address. Mm-hmm. How do you create that balance in, in a culture that wants to separate us? I mean, you know, we, we, we can go on to, you know, to talk about that forever, but yeah. what, what is your, what are your, what are your thoughts about managing that tension? And it is a healthy tension, or at least it can be. How do you, how do you find that? How do you find that balance? Delicately. Yeah. <laughs> it's in, I think, you know, as an organization, we have to be respectful, part of one of our core values of each other and, and really work collaboratively to, to, to see the other person's point of view. You know, I, we, we, we have people, you know, from all different political views, different Ethnic backgrounds, different sexual orientations, different ages. You know, we have such a variety of, of, of members inside the American Council of the Blind. But I go back to our mission. The one thing that brings us all together each and every day is our mission to increase the security, equality, I mean, excuse me, independence, security, equality of opportunity and quality of life for all blind and, and visually impaired people. And I think we, we need to always remember that that's our mission and not that, that we don't have, we, we do have these conversations. Uh, we help educate each other. We help outreach to the broader community. We hopefully work really hard to bring people that don't look like us into the organization. So we have a richer, membership with more diversity. We continually intentionally work for all of that, but we have to, I believe, always come back to the compass that we are, you know, an advocacy organization for the blind and low vision community. And that should be, that's, that needs to be the compass that, that motivates us, especially for, for key Policy documents where we're, where we're reaching out and making a, a lead decision on issues. You know, I think, you know, there'll be times when other disability groups will ask us when they're in a lead position on legislation or a notice of public rulemaking. 
Would you sign on with this? Would you provide an amicus brief? And where it makes sense, we do that. So we still need to to partner, but we, we need to lead with the fact that we are an organization of blind and low vision individuals. Dan, I want to get back to durable medical equipment. I know you promised to bring that up. Okay. There's one item. Now, I don't know what you wanted to say about it, and I will let you say what you want about it, but what's on my mind right now is something I'm very impressed with, and I I have a friend who wears this constantly. It's one of those Gen Con devices. Mm -hmm. I think I'm pronouncing it right. It's a diabetic button that he wears on his upper arm. It's like a glucose model. Oh, like a freestyle Libre, something like that? And maybe another version of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what they call a continuous glucose monitor. Right. I think Mm -hmm. that's amazing. I love those. Mm -hmm. I hope I never get diabetes, but if I ever did, I'd be blessed with one of those. I know it. Mm -hmm. So so what is your concern about durable medical equipment? Talk about that issue. Sure. Well, even if we take like the Freestyle Libre and and most of these continuous glucose monitors, they're, they're not at least out of the box on your on your arm, they're not accessible for our community. Now, some of them some of them have Bluetooth interfaces to, you know, your iPhone or your Android device. And there'll be an application there that you can launch that will perhaps provide you your your measurements. And and that's that's not a bad thing. That's that's a really good thing. But, you know, there's nothing right now in technology space that couldn't, couldn't have those devices be able to provide everybody, even without the need for a smartphone device or a smart device of some type, to be able to get their readings. It should be, could be easily as, as simple as just pushing a button and hearing what's on the little screen. It's on the screen on the device, but it's not, it's not audible. And it could be, you know, and that's, and, and, and then the next step of that is, is insulin pumps, which again, we've proven over and over again that blind people with the right education and tools are very, are in a very good position to, to deliver their own insulin and monitor that through an insulin pump. Yet again, very few, if any of those devices, you have to kind of do workarounds and all that, but they don't audibly give you the information you need to use the insulin pump. And so those are challenges and they're truly impacting the health of our community because as you said, Bob, I have friends who have the continuous glucose monitors with their iPhone now and it it's been life changing for them. They can check their glucose levels, you know, every 30 seconds if they want to, every, every, before they have a meal so they can understand what their diet needs to be that evening, how they're doing after their meal, how they're doing before they go to bed. It's, it's helping them so much in the management of their diabetes. And it's frustrating that that should be available to all of us. You know, it's, it truly is. So, 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 so area. The, yeah. the resolution yeah. that you, that you've written for this, uh, you know, durable, you're going to talk about this that you think, what are, what are, what are there sort of the goals of what you're trying to accomplish? Uh, what do you hope to? What the durable medical, yeah. what we yeah. really want to get to is that for me, at least to start with that, that Medicare and Medicaid would, would offer 
you know, accessible, what we call, you know, non-vision durable medical equipment for their type two and type three medical equipment. So things like the continuous glucose monitors, I'll give you a personal example. So this, this means a lot to me. So when I was going through, you know, evaluations for my cardio, cardiac disease, you know, part of that is they put a, a monitoring vest. Well, not a vest, but they set a, a monitoring device that I had to wear for three straight weeks where they monitor me. So it, it had three pieces to it. It had a kind of a port that, that sat on your chest, Peter and Bob. And then you had a monitoring device, kind of a little remote control that hooked into the port. Well, that they gave you two of those because every two days the batteries would wear down on those and you had to take the old remote control out, put the new mo- remote control in the, in the port and make sure on your smart device, which was really juiced up iPhone would let you know whether you had made good connection in that smart device was providing good good monitoring readout and feeding that information to a data center in Plano, Texas to to continually monitor my my heart rhythms and all that for for a three week period, twenty four hours a day. Well, I couldn't manage that that smartphone device because all the voiceover had been taken off of it. So I had to have my my sighted sister come over you know, every day and make sure I was getting green lights on my remote control devices, my monitoring device that was hooked to my port and that my smart device was properly providing signals. They were all green versus red that was going back to the data center. Well, she came over one day and, you know, said, oh, there's a checkbox on this screen. I don't know what it exactly means, but it says, you know, something about, are you feeling any pain? You know, I think you're okay. You know, I was at dinner a half hour or lunch a half hour later, and I started getting all these calls on my cell phone saying, are you in cardiac arrest? Have you gone to the emergency room? And I was like, what are you all talking about? And they said, well, you you pushed a thing saying that you were, you know, you were in cardiac distress. I said, no, 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 I haven't pushed anything, you know? And so, but, but that, that pointed out to me that there was nothing with these pieces of equipment that I couldn't manage each and every day with, with standard voiceover, like I do with so many other things on my iPhone, but it had not be been properly engineered and developed for a blind person to use it. When, they first gave it to me. They're like, Oh God, you're blind. How are you going to do this? You know, how are you going to monitor your cardiac health for the next three weeks? That, that shouldn't be where we are in the 21st century. The, the technology is there. It's just getting to that universal design so we can use voiceover and very quickly go down and see if everything is, if we, you know, if, if things are turned on, if they're where they're supposed to be, it, you know, there's, see, nothing- we have about, we have yeah. about 18 minutes left. Ah, okay. And we have a lot of people that are in the room right now. And I okay, think Bob. a lot of people have their hands raised. So sure. you're listening to Win Perspective. My name is Bob Branco, and I'm with yeah. Peter Alchel. And our guest is Dan Spoon, Interim Executive Director with the American Council of the Blind. Angela, I'm sure we have a lot of hands raised. So if you would tell us who they are, 
<laughs> yes, we have Brandon Patterson first. All right, Brandon, welcome. You have a question Hello. for me? Again? <laughs> well, Brandon. speaking of uh, technology and accessibility, I just found out, see, I'm used to the mail client. By checking my email, I'm used to mm-hmm. using the mail app. And speaking of updating, and I believe it's in the middle or the towards the end of 20, this year, 2024, that everybody has to upgrade to the new Outlook. And I, mm-hmm. I tested it out. I don't like it too well, too well, but probably when, when we change over, that's something we go, we all gonna have to, all of us blind people gonna have to get used to, I guess. And, and as Bob, Brent, as Bob said earlier, every time you get one of those upgrades, it's a whole nother learning process, right? If a whole nother from, learning process. From, from Office, you know, 2010 or 2014 to 365, you know, all of that comes with its own set of new skills that you have to learn. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So. And, well, what, and what's yeah. frustrating and, is that if, if you're working, like I'm supposed to be starting a job very soon, mm-hmm. I don't want this upgrade to interfere with my job. I'd yeah. rather not have that happen if I can help it. Sure. But, yeah. but, but invariably they'll tell you you're going to be out of, out of compliance, out of service. You know, you'll have to upgrade. So yeah, it's, 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 gonna be a pe- it's, it's what all of us, you know, it, it is not just blind people, sighted people yeah. go through this too every time there's an upgrade. Yeah. 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 Cause see, I see, and, and with me, uh, see, I'm used, used, I'm so used to using job. Using JAWS so much, but now that I kind of before that, I used a program called NVDA, and it 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 was really good. It, it I'm used to it now, but but when I was at Arkansas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired, I used JAWS a lot, and it, it used and 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 that would make me get used to it. I, and then when I left, I started using NVDA, and and it, it's kind of like JAWS, yeah. And it's great. It's a great program, though. Well, well, Brandon, I uh, good, good luck time. to you. Yeah, thank, thank you, you very much, Brandon. Yeah. Yes, you're welcome. An- Angela, who do we have next? We have Tony next. Tony, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. This may be a politically tricky question, but I am curious to know how things are going with regard to relationships between ACB and NFB lately. Maybe a good thing and maybe something we still have to work on some more between the two major competing consumer organizations. Sure. Well, and obviously NFB and ACB, you know, are, are you unique separate entities starting, you know, really back, you know, along through, through our administrations. We've worked to try to have wherever possible a good relationship with the NFB and it, at least I was fortunate during the four years that I was president and now this year as the interim executive director that, you know, worked with Mark Riccobono and we have pretty much had regularly quarterly check-ins with each other. Sometimes it may only be three times a year, depending on conventions and all that that get in the way. But we, we get together, you know, typically, you know, a, a team of him, his advocacy lead, his operational lead. Uh, John Perret and Anil Lewis. And then from our side, we'll have our advocacy director, our executive director and an ACB president. And we get together and we talk about, you know, common issues, what we're working on, what we can agree to work on together. 
we worked very, very well together with, you know, the, the accessible, uh, COVID test, test kit work that we did with NIBIB. Actually, two of our legislative imperatives this year are being taken to the Hill and co-sponsored by both ACB and NFB. That's the durable medical equipment bill we just spoke of, as well as the website and software application accessibility act. So both of those we have weekly meetings and work with each other on. We've also worked together on this insulin pump task force that to help, you know, make durable, make equipment available for both insulin pumps and to continuous glucose monitors. So we, we do work together on a lot of issues and, and collaborate. I think, you know, Clark and John, I think talk to each other about every two or three times a week from an advocacy standpoint. And I know Claire and John will as well. So. We work hard. We have also had, I think, some really good collaborations at the state level, working on accessible voting. Uh, this has happened in New New York and in Illinois and in a lot of different states across the country. And I, I'm seeing more and more of the state at the state level uh, that both ACB and NFB are, you know, their leaders are attending each other's conventions. They're working together on issues, whether they be Voting or Randolph Shepard vendors, you know, paratransit. So I, I think wherever we can, the more we collaborate, the better we are. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Tony. Tony. Who's next? Okay. Next. Deanna Noriega, I saw your hand up. Deanna, welcome. Hi, everybody. Hi, Hi Deanna. <laughs> Hi, Dan. Just talked to your lovely wife yesterday when I hosted one of her things, I think. <laughs> one of her exercise calls. <laughs> yes. Yes. Anyway, one of the concerns I have is I think we need to get a better in with AARP. They are getting a little better. Used to be, you know, 10 years ago, I was asking them about access to the, some of their material. And they had no intention of putting it into Braille because I got the feeling that blindness was such a threatening thing to them that they didn't want to put a downer on their people somehow by, mm-hmm. <laughs> by affiliating. And that's one of the things we have to overcome. We're not really that scary. Yeah. But if we can help them and they can help us, we're stronger standing together. And that's why I'm so glad our AAVL has really been active lately because we got to be more visible. And honestly, as you get longer in the tooth, it gets harder and harder to be an advocate. Deanna, (laughs) Deanna, what is an AAVL for the people who don't know what that is? It's the affiliate for the Alliance uh, on Aging with Vision vision Loss. loss. Yes, Alliance on Aging with Vision Loss. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Yeah. And so um, I never thought I would be in this group, but I guess I'm ready, arthritic knees and all, to go do what I can when I can. And I think that that's the key is we have to be involved. We can't just sit back and let nothing be done because we're too lazy to pick up our little computer and, and type a letter to congressmen and senators and all of that stuff we did so easily when we were younger 
I agree. And Dan, to expand on Deanna's point a little bit, one of the things that, that strikes me about these legislative imperatives is th- th- these, of course, are really important issues. Mm-hmm. But my, my sense is that most of these sponsors, I want to say 100%, but I'll, I'll be the, given the benefit of the doubt and mm-hmm. say that 90% or 92% are Democrats. And my sort of question is, how are we reaching out both, both from the national and state to reach out to the Republican folks? You know, we have an election coming up in 2024 where things might totally change. We have a Supreme Court that might uh, modify the way agencies oversee these laws, like the ADA. You know, I think we're in a very different space, and I, I, I'm wondering what ACB is, is thinking about in addressing these issues. Yeah, it, it it's, you know, it's obviously... As we know, in many cases, a different point of view, depending on if you're talking to a, you know, representative's office that's, you know, from the, the Republican side versus the Democratic side of the House and what kind of makes sense in a lot of these bills. And, you know, uh, we do have some Republicans that are co-sponsoring our legislation, like Representative Sessions is co-sponsoring, I believe, the durable medical equipment bill. And so we're, you know, we're, we're still working on, on building those colleagues. Uh, we had Gus Bilarakis from Florida who has, you know, been a Republican sponsor on the low vision pilot project bill that we, demonstration bill that we've had in Congress for, for several years. Uh, so we have to build those partnerships where we can. It, it is it is a challenge that a lot of these bills tend to be more supported by the Democrats than than the Republicans, uh, but we have to make the, the 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 case that things that we do that keep our population independent and at home is not only good for our members, it's good for the federal government. It reduces cost. It's a lower priced footprint. It really does help. Reduce the, the, the budget if you can keep people living independently in their homes. Because then, nothing is more com- expensive than, than nursing homes and assisted living facilities. Yeah. One, one other comment, Dan. You mentioned mm-hmm. two Republican names, yeah. which I did not know. And I hope that you'll think about when you publicize these bills and who's supporting them, that you mm-hmm. make an effort to say, you know, and list the Republicans who are part of this because oh, I was totally unaware of this. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll definitely for- list the, the co-sponsors for right. each bill. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's mm-hmm. really important. Anyway, thank you. Thank you, Deanna. Thanks, Deanna, as always. Do we have anybody else in the wings, Angela? Yes, we do. David's iPhone. David's iPhone. Hi. Hi, David. Hi, this is David New. How is everybody? Hi, I know who you were on our show once. <laughs> You're a in fact, you, uh, you were involved in one of the website accessibility projects. I was involved in a lot of things, but yes, I, I, I did partake in that. I just had a one quick question for Dan, and that is, does ACB have a stance on elevators with touchscreens? Well, our stance is, of course, we want them to be fully accessible. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And so I mean, there's a official. lot. I don't know that we've written a white paper exactly on elevators, but we would be happy, David, to, you know, to receive input and work on that. I think that's, 
it's becoming more and more of a challenge. Yes, it's proliferating. And I've been working here in Miami Beach with the chief elevator inspector, Joey Gann. We've been to about a half a dozen condos and hotels around here that have touchscreens, and they try to make these modifications to make it accessible for people who are blind. They are not accessible, and they are not kept up, and the inspectors don't even know what to look for. And in addition, there have been these implementations of so-called Braille add-ons that are supposed to be an accessibility symbol, Mm. which is not in the Braille dictionary, so to speak. So, like, there's a pyramid of three dots, and that's supposed to represent accessibility, but it's not a thing. So, you know, it's like the Wild West with these elevators that are popping up Mm. everywhere, and you're really out of luck if you get, if you have to use one. And I know there's work happening at the World Blind Union, the last meeting of the World Blind Union I attended. They had a a, quite an interesting panel on worldwide accessibility of elevators it, it related to this whole you know there's only a few manufacturers of elevators throughout the world and and you've really got to get you've got to get back to them to really you know again get back to that universal design it's always so much harder right david to add it on afterwards right you know? but you know there there are technologies as you said that, you know, using voice or yep. voice activation or that sort of thing that would make it instantly accessible. And I've seen stuff online, but I can't, you know, I try to get in touch with manufacturers who are, who are doing those things and they just sort of seem to fade away or disappear. And, you know, I got the city to invest in mm-hmm. that technology to install in the city hall elevators, but mm-hmm. then the company disappeared. So, yeah, yeah it, it's really well, frustrating. Well, we'll definitely and reach the, out to advocacy at acb.org and, and, and introduce yourself and let us know the position. Are you familiar? Are you working at all with any of our ACB colleagues down there in Miami? You know, Gabriel Lopez Cafati or, or any of that group? Absolutely. I, I actually brought Gabriel into the ACB. Oh, and, okay. Uh, yeah. Cause I started a, an affiliate here in Miami Beach. Council yeah, blind yeah. many 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 years ago. So, you know, he was a president after me, and so on and yeah. so forth. Oh, good. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Okay. Thank you so well, much. Well, thank you, but David. Please, we'd love to hear more from you because I think this is an issue that's going to continue to become more and more prevalent. Yeah, I agree with that. We have about five more minutes, Angela. Yep. We have one more person here, Jean Mann. Jean Mann. Welcome. Welcome. So, so Dan. Well, two things. When the gentleman was talking about upgrades, I always wait till they've been, you know, because you don't have to do them right away. So yeah. I always wait until they've been around for a while. And when I have to upgrade, I do. And by that time, other people know how to handle anything I don't. So um, it's not always good to be the first one in, no, right? Let, let it kind of work the bug. Work yeah, the I totally out a agree. Bit. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, I totally agree. I do that exactly. with Jaws too. I never yeah, go I with too. my new version of Jaws right away. I, I give it a little I, while. Yeah, I do as soon as they send it to me with that. But I, I mm-hmm. sometimes I'm sorry I do. But the other thing I wanted to mention was I also had one of those heart monitors last year. Yeah, yeah. I actually wrote to Clark about it because they were looking for testimony. I had so much trouble because. Either my equipment wasn't working right or I was doing something wrong. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I was supposed to wear it for three days or three weeks. And out of yep. those weeks, they got maybe seven or eight days of, of, of information. Yeah. And at one point they called me and they said, are you wearing it? We haven't seen any data in five days. Mm-hmm. Now, every day I took the, you know, when I took my shower, I took the little thing out to clean the patch afterwards, you know, the yep. little fit into, put yep. it back in. I didn't always have somebody here when I changed the battery the first couple of times I did because I wasn't sure I was doing it right. Mm-hmm. But I, it was terrible. And the, the equipment place, you know, talked to me at the beginning about how to use it. The nurse, my cardiologist nurse talked to me and she said to him, do you think she's going to be able to handle this? And he said, Oh, yes, yeah, sure. She'll be able to. So mm-hmm. it really was difficult. It was frustrating. Wow. And you could look at it and say, right, Jean, with a little bit of modification. I could do this and you know, it wouldn't have taken much or something when you, yeah. when you put it in, just something yeah. so you knew it was working. Yep. And yep. then of course having to carry that stupid phone around, you know, <laughs> you were supposed to be within three feet of your phone at all times. Yes. The you know, industrial the iPhone or whatever yeah, that thing was. It was, it was big. Yeah. 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 So I, I will I, bet you yeah. that this is not just a blindness issue. I will bet you because my experience working with, with that, that, that there are other groups having trouble with this software. It may be, a, it may be a slippery problem, but I will bet you that if we were to ask around, we would have, oh yeah, we're having problems with as well. You know, Seniors like your T are having the yeah. same yeah. issue. You're, yeah. you're right, Peter, because we have a, I don't know what her title is. She's like a social worker kind of person and she helps me with my mail and stuff. And actually she came up and helped me with this one day. She said that she had talked to so many people that had issues with it. Yeah. So this is sloppy manufacturing. Yeah. 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 So, Dad, before before we go, yes, you are, as I understand things, going to be uh, ending your interim direct uh, executive director thing, right? Uh, you're, I know you're hiring a new, uh, you know, going through the we, process. We, of we have an open posting out there. Comes down next week, and then we'll, you know, take you know take our candidates and go through the screening process, and ultimately present a set of candidates to the board for them to make a decision. Hopefully, if everything goes well, knock on something. You never know with when you're dealing with employment. But yeah. you know, we hope hope to be able to announce a new executive director by the the DC Leadership Conference board meeting. Not necessarily that they would be starting, but that at least they've accepted and qualified for the position is our goal. Yeah. And so we'll before see. we go, what I wanna go ahead, Bob. Be- before we go, I do want to give a free plug to the ACB community list and uh, ACB media for the wonderful work that they do, bringing the community together, helping us to gain more listeners, helping all people who do a lot of podcasting and Zoom meetings and, and you know, inviting the community to these events. I think it's a terrific service that ACB is providing. It, it's been absolutely amazing. And it's not too late if you want to participate in the community a thought. I hear we're awfully close to 20,000 as a fundraiser. It's really that money really helps to pay, you know, pay for our folks that, that deliver these services each and every day. So 19,800. Look at there. <laughs> there you go. That's close. Update that's on close. the, the <laughs> tote board. We're close, folks. We're close. <laughs> yes. Dan Spoon, it was a pleasure having you on in perspective of our time is up. We would love to have you back, even if you are not the interim executive director, whatever capacity you're going to be in. We enjoy talking to you. You have a lot to say about what you're doing for blind people in our country. And, you know, continued success as always. I'm a great supporter and believer in ACB. So thank you again. And I want to thank Angela and Lucy for helping out. Peter, of course, our callers 
as well. Next week, we're going to have Morgan White back. Many of you are familiar with him. He's on WBZ in Boston a lot, plays games, does trivia, does a lot with game shows. He's a dynamic person. I met him once. Go safe with God's abundant blessings, everybody. I'm Bob Branco. Stay warm wherever you are. I know Peter has 56 degrees, but what are you going to (laughs) do? Take care, everybody.